This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Taking a quick break from all the football episodes that, that the two of us have been doing. Going to talk some basketball. Uh, it's not just because they lost. No, it's also, you know, this is a, a week where Michigan's football game is, you know, it's Maryland. It's not quite moving the needle like Penn State or Ohio State might. And we got to finally see Michigan basketball play what I would call some high major competition. So it uh, won't be a super long episode. But some early impressions after the first three games in game one, they beat Buffalo 88 to 76 in game two. They took down Prairie View A&M and maybe one of the least watched Michigan basketball games ever, uh, just because it was the night of Michigan's win over Penn State. And it was against one of the worst teams in the country. They won 77 to 49. And then Tuesday, they played Seton Hall at home and they lost. 67 to 65 they led by as many as 11 points in the second half um probably one of the just on paper probably one of the worst losses of Juwan Howard's tenure now he doesn't have that many losses and many of them have been road games to tournament teams you know those kind of kind of games but um yeah we'll talk about kind of some of the things we've seen so far what we think of the team to this point you know maybe some some big strengths but also some big concerns they play UNLV on Friday super late night and then they'll play either Arizona or Wichita State Saturday night Um, and then on the horizon things get a little tougher I mean San Diego State looks pretty good North a game at North Carolina is pretty serious so Steve I I, will we'll work through some of the each individual thing, I, I know I did my five takeaways recently. I've done my seven first impressions or observations. What is sticking out to you the most following Michigan's loss some, you know, 36 hours later? Uh, what What's kind of stuck in your head the, the most about this team? So one thing I'm not concerned about are the young guys that, you know, even being like, highly ranked five-star players. I know Caleb Houston seemed to really struggle the other night. Um, Diabates looked good. Kobe Bufkin looks really good. I think he's going to, a guy whose role is going to continue to expand as the season goes on. You know, those guys, I'm not too concerned. You know, Houston, I think his, his shot, his, his shot will start to fall as the season uh, moves along. And these guys get more and more comfortable with the college game. You know, my biggest thing right now, as far as like the, the like looking forward and, and not necessarily overreacting to the loss, but just a trend that is concerning. And I know I think many have talked about it, but I think it's number one on the list is uh, Devontae Jones penchant for, for following just because, you know, not really sure who's going to run that two 
uh, at, at point, who's going to back him up at point guard. You'd, you'd prefer not to have to shift Eli Brooks over, I assume. You know, Bufkin's emergence could make that easier if, if, if that's the direction they want to go. But I also don't think Michigan really wants to overextend Eli Brooks too much, even though, I'm, you know, he can handle it. But I think a Jones-Brooks backcourt is, is Michigan's best-case scenario for this season. I don't know what you think. I think Jones has shown a lot of really good things, but he's also shown some concerning signs. You know, I think he made a, a couple, like he made some really good plays against like, Seton Hall kind of summed it all up. Like he made some really, really good plays, like good and gets good at getting into the lane. He's much more aggressive than Mike Smith was last year. Uh, you know, and, and I feel like can create a little bit more once he gets there, but you know, horrible pass on that press, you know, was a, was a very, very bad mistake. Kind of the way he, I don't know, the way he brings the ball up the court, you know, uh, doesn't really face the defender. He puts his back to him a little bit. I mean, it's like, I don't know if it's, uh, if his handles are still a little loose, if that's something he's got to continue to kind of hone in on a little bit. Uh, but, but the fouling is, is very concerning. Fouled out the other day and I want to say did he have four against Buffalo or did he foul out against Buffalo no he fouled out then too and that was only in 18 minutes right I mean that is that's not good uh you know because I think we've seen that point guard play has been has always been it's I mean it's super important for everybody but the way Michigan likes to run their offense uh you want your your top point guard in there for you know because the thing is he's an asset defensively honestly otherwise it's just he has an issue with the with some ticky tack fouls, you know. The one block they called him for at Seton Hall may be questionable, but either way, uh, it was close enough where I don't think you can get too upset about that. But a couple of the fouls he committed were were uh, completely avoidable and unnecessary. So that's the other thing. And then and then the other thing that I think is rightfully concerning is the depth from a shooting standpoint. You know, like I said, I do think Houston gets going. I think you can count on Brooks. But my my thought, my theory, I guess, is the reason we saw Adrian Nunez so early against Buffalo and we, that we've heard of him being a rotation guy this year is because I think Juwan Howard need, knows that they need guys that can shoot the basketball. And that's supposed to be Nunez's major strength. You know, after not playing like much if at all last year I think trying to get him acclimated to the lineup and get him in the rotation was as it was his attempt to inject some perimeter play on the offensive end I don't know did he even play again did he played he did not against, play yeah he didn't even play right didn't play. so his defense still appears to be too big of a liability for them to even you know want to try to get his shooting on the floor and you know to, so to me I thought that move in game one against Buffalo was to me, like I said, a clear case that, that they feel like they need guys that can shoot. And if he can't answer the bell or, or be a guy they can rely on on both ends of the floor, at least enough defensively to try to get him some looks on the offensive end. You know, I think it's pretty clear that, that Michigan's going to need somebody to step up, you know, from the perimeter, maybe that's Buffkin. Uh, I think, you know, Brandon Johns has really struggled so far to begin the season, he's a guy, was he 36, 37% from deep last year? You know, that I think they need a couple of these other guys to uh, to step up from the perimeter if they're going to, you know, win any big games. Because 
not win any, but you don't understand what I'm saying. If they're going to contend the way we believe, uh, I mean, you could argue, uh, you know, they, right, yeah, they do mean, need more te- shooting. Te- period. Right, yeah, technically, but <laughs> but you know, those were really the two biggest things for me. Devontae Jones is too important for Michigan, you know, to to be committing like bad fouls like that, and they just they just need more from the perimeter. And, and I don't say that just coming off of a game where they didn't shoot well. I don't think they've really looked that great from the perimeter so far this season period necessarily. Uh, and, and, and it's really a matter of, I don't, you, I don't know if you can get by uh, crossing your fingers that maybe, maybe you don't have a guy who steps up and, and his shoot shoots 40%. You know, instead you're relying on a lot of 30 to 35% three point shooters. To me, that's a, that's a recipe for, not disaster, but recipe for some more losses because, you know, if you can't rely on guys consistently, there are going to be nights where more than one or, or more than two guys from deep are going to be off and it's going to, it's going to make offense a lot more difficult for you. Yeah. You don't want to spend a bunch of possessions figuring out who's on. Like, yeah, it's, you want, uh, you want people to either be like average shooters. So like shoot it if you're open or good shooters where you're actually trying to create something for them. And right now I, I really think, all they all they have in terms of good shooters is Houston, who I know he had an off night against Seton Hall, but um, I've seen his shot, seen the high school stats. He's he's a he's a very good shooter. I think, honest, not maybe not quite at Duncan Robinson's level, but but Duncan Robinson at Michigan. I mean, he he also had off nights, and so I think in terms of shooting, not in terms of athleticism or capabilities in the post and everything like that. Um, I think that's that's maybe the shooting comp I I would have for for Houston is is maybe not quite at Isaiah Livers level, but Duncan Robinson at Michigan maybe around that clip. And Eli Brooks, he was very good last season too. I mean, he's he's got a long history as a shooter. Um, that's where like Terrence Williams stands out to me is because he's I mean, he's technically four for eight from three. I think he's Michigan's number two three point shooter at this point. Um, you know, is that, is that real or is that like a couple shots that go in? Because if that's, if that's something that continues with high volume, then I think, I think he's another player that, that also plays at a position or he can play multiple positions, um, can be set up in a situation where he's helping spread the floor out a little bit, because you mentioned the shooting. I really think Hunter Dickinson, this is not a knock on his game necessarily, just, scientifically physics speaking he needs more space down low to be effective I think that's something that Seton Hall uh was able to do is is they kind of they stopped spreading out and trying to guard all these shooters they kind of cheated a little bit on Dickinson and and were able to get better positioning and and so then they were able to slow down what he did in the second half and that was a big key to 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 the Pirates comeback was Dickinson was not as effective in the final 10 minutes of the game as he was in the first 30. And so, yeah, someone like Houston being on spreads things out, um, you know, Terrence Williams. I mean, if there, if there, there's a potential lineup where it's Brooks, Houston, and then at the four, you go with Williams and Johns, as you mentioned, probably a better three point shooter than what he has shown so far this season. Um, I mean, so far he's over four or so arguably he'd automatically be better. But even last year, I mean, he was, he wasn't livers, but he was a good shooter. 
uh, 36.8. You know, that, that number might not have looked great a few years ago, but don't forget they moved the three-point line back. Now the average three-point shooting in the country is, is closer to 33%. And so 36, 37%, that's great. You know, he was 34.5 the year before, um, including 38% in Big Ten play. If he can get up to that level and Terrence Williams can be, let's say, in that same caliber area, that will help spread the floor a little bit. But right now it's not happening. Right now, you know, Johns is 0 for 4. Houston is, is 5 for 16. Um, and Terrence Williams, you know, he's, he's four for eight, but that's, that's just not enough attempts to really convince a defense to, to, you know, come, come get you every time you have the ball. So that's, that's definitely a big, probably the, one of the bigger long-term concerns. And, and I think everyone knew that it was going to be a bit of a concern heading into the season. That's where someone like Bufkin is so valuable because I think, um, I think there is potential there for him to be to be a strong shooter, but Jones don't think he's going to be, you know, Mike Smith from three, which quietly that was something that, that Juwan Howard uh, never got enough credit for is, is he took on Shondi Brown and Mike Smith, two guys who were not historically good three point shooters. And they were like automatic from three for much of last season. And so um, I don't know if, I don't know if that's, Jawan Howard. I don't know if that's, you know, the assistant coaches. I don't know if that's just being in a, in a system where maybe you're taking more open looks, but both, both of them were kind of closer to that 33% uh, three point shooter in their careers. And they were like at 40% last year. So if he can, if he can find something like that with Jones, great. But, but so far um, Jones does not look like someone who is, you know, out there looking for three point shots. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that continues to, to develop. Because if, if they don't have, I would say, top-tier three-point shooting, you know, if they're not in the top 50 nationally in that category, then they have to get really creative about how they use Dickinson. Um, like some of the two-man game that, that Dickinson and Brooks were running Wednesday night or Tuesday night. So I think that's something... Um, I'm I'm curious to continue seeing that because I think I think Brooks is playing with a little bit more confidence. I think he's playing a little bit more assertive, partly because I, I'm sure Michigan's asking him to do to do this. But um, pretty impressive that this is like the third or fourth year in a row that Brooks has looked like a significantly better player than the year before. I think that's that's such a hard thing to do. You know, everyone kind of improves, but how do you make sure that you didn't plateau? You know, so he's in year five and continuing to to look more confident, look more assertive. I don't actually hate him at the one. Everyone keeps saying that's out of position. Um, it, it it technically is, but like he did come to Michigan as a point guard. He was the starting point guard over Xavier Simpson. I mean, this is not part of that was just because of his basketball IQ. But you know, he talked to his parents, talked to him, talked to coaches. I don't I don't think he's like. It's not like uh, putting Nick Stauskas at the one or Jordan Poole at the one, or Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman at the one. I mean, he's he's got a little bit more point guard tendencies than people might realize. So I don't I don't hate him at the one, but I'm with you, Steve. There just isn't enough guard depth to, to have him playing. I mean, he'll probably end up being among the top in the country in minutes per game this season. 
but the more minutes he spends at the one, that's, that's more workload for him. You know, at the two, you're not necessarily putting in the same amount of work and exhaustion every possession as you are at the one. So I think that's something to keep an eye on because it does not appear Frankie Collins has earned the coach's trust in games yet. Maybe that comes, maybe, maybe his moment is coming. I, I, I'd be curious to see how much he plays this weekend. Um, kind of a little bit of a homecoming for him. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, but, but, you know, Frankie Collins or Kobe Bufkin, excuse me, starting to earn a little bit of that trust starting to, you know, I think, I think he played a couple, couple shifts on Tuesday night in which he, uh, I think the coaches came away thinking, okay, all right, he's, he's starting to acclimate a little bit um, like that steal. I, I, you know, it's, it's not even necessarily the scoring, you know, four points is not setting the world on fire, but he scored eight points against Prairie View A&M, four points against Seton Hall in nine minutes, but, you know, had a steal, had a nice rebound, um, just seemed, seemed to be playing really, really well with his teammates, but still that's only, I mean, with Zeb Jackson out for, who knows how long in an indefinite period of time you're talking about three guards that the coaches trust to get out there. I mean, there's, there's been moments this season where Terrence Williams has had to play the two and, you know, even Caleb Houston has kind of had to play a bit of the two and, and that's probably not optimal for Michigan. So, so that's where Jones fouls. And, and you mentioned it's already happened twice this season, but even in its career, 24 out of his 78 career games, he has had four or five fouls. That is a staggering amount for a point guard. I would, I would wager that in the last 10 years, Michigan point guards haven't had that many games with that many fouls. So, what, so, so, what's, so what's the level of concern there then? Because, I mean, it's not as if this is a freshman or a sophomore. This is a guy who's played a lot of basketball at the college level. I don't know. Is that something you can just, can they coach him out of that? You know, if just that sometimes there's tendencies that just don't in the heat, especially like something like that, that like, again, like the, I think there was the one foul, the reach that he had, I don't know, it was his fourth foul was just a, an awful, awful foul. And, yeah. you know, those are like heat of the moment type things in the middle of the game where I don't know if a guy who pl- tries to play as aggressively as he does, if that's something that they can really, toned down, I guess. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's just, uh, so I, I it, it's interesting because I don't think I've ever had to like, I've never asked a, a coach or former player about a guard needing to be coached, not to foul. Cause usually that's usually that's something that like centers have to deal with is like when, when you're, when you're the person you're defending goes up, you go up straight, right. You don't lean. And, and you know, there's like little, little tricks you can do for not fouling in the post. Um, but that's, that's the balance Michigan's going to have to strike is I think Jones defense was a big part of why they, they liked him so much. I mean, they, they liked him more than other point guards in the transfer portal because of his defense. He had, he was extremely good at getting steals. He's an extremely good rebounder. So can you, can you coach, as you mentioned, those heat of the moment things, because I do think. Beeline, John Beeline always used to say this is, is refs call way more fouls in the first like two or three weeks of the season uh, than they do the rest of the way. Just because I think 
a lot of times you know, you're, it's like your first time out, you know, and you're thinking about the fouls and, and it's like, you almost have to get the whistles out to, to kind of get into a groove. And, and there's like, I don't think there's any major rules this year, but they're often like, they just, they're fresh off these officiating meetings where they're saying this year, we really need to emphasize this yada, yada. So I do think some of the ticky tack stuff will be called, called a little bit less, you know, a month from now, but, but I think it will be something teams will try to exploit too. It's like, get, make him wall you up because when he walls you up, he tends to foul, you know, there's like little things like that. And so that's, that's something that will be very interesting. Um, Cause I think some of it you can coach, but you also don't want to coach and say, Hey, stop defending so hard. You don't want him in his head thinking like, Oh, normally I do this, but instead I'm going to like, let him get a shot off. So that's, that's the tricky balance. And that's where having, you know, a, a true backup point guard would be so beneficial is like, you know, maybe he can, he can try things out against some of these lower level competition, but, but they are playing real teams. I mean, I, I, I suspect they'll beat UNLV, um, you know, Wichita state versus Arizona. Um, Michigan's got a good chance of going two and zero this weekend, even, even with the loss to Seton hall. I think, I think I could argue Seton hall is better than both of those teams right now, but you know, thinking about North Carolina, uh, I think San Diego State's quietly, uh, uh, I mean, they look like a tournament team, or at least on paper, they look like a tournament team. So, yeah, I mean, how, how, how does this develop over the coming weeks is a, is a big question mark. And, and it, it, it feels like we're making it very personal. But the fact of the matter is, like, he's fouled out twice. Uh, you know, that's twice in three games is, is way too high for a point guard. I mean, that's, that's arguably too high for a, for a big man, but it's at least more common for a big man. I'd be curious how many, what's the average number of like starting point guards fouling out in a season. Right. So, so that's much. More and, and, and the other thing is the, the athletics athleticism of the big 10 at guard is going to be better than it was at coastal Carolina. So he's going to have to, He's going to be on his heels a little bit more defensively. So how does he react? Right. I, I was going to say much more concerning that he fouled out on Tuesday also, because it felt like on Tuesday, the official, there was actually a real flow to the game on Tuesday. Whereas against Buffalo, they were blowing the whistle like every time down the floor, you know, it was like little more. And Buffalo's a team that draws fouls. Too. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, but again, against with Seton Hall, it just the game was a lot. Seemed like they let him play a lot more physically, you know. So for him to still foul out of that game, I think is is you know makes it legitimately concerning. I think going forward. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I'm curious what you think of the. So you mentioned you're not worried about the freshman, and and I'm not either. But one thing I am curious about is like what what are we've now seen three games and, and I guess the exhibition game too. What are the expectations? Because I think one thing that always kind of surprised me this fall was when I saw like Caleb Houston on preseason player of the year, watch list nationally and Musa Diabate on like a lot of like projected preseason 
Big Ten all freshman teams. And and I get it because they're five star recruits. I mean, I think they are technically the number one and number two recruits in the Big Ten. But but the one thing that that I know I know Tim and Sam have always said and 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 kind of reflected, you know, the coaches have said similar stuff too, is is um I don't think this is like Zion Williamson walking in, like just because they're five star recruits. I, I I do think there's a little bit of a of a growth situation. I've always viewed Houston as someone who this this season probably will be one of those guys who you feel like he's having a quiet game, but then he finishes with 12 points. Is that's that's always been my expectation. Um you know, Musa, it it's interesting because I think everyone's so excited about him, but but the fact, I mean, his numbers aren't off the charts or anything. And so Steve, you know, you mentioned you're not worried. Not, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, there, I've seen nothing to, to suggest that they're, that they aren't going to play kind of the roles I envision them playing, but I think some fans had extremely high expectations. So uh, walk us through kind of what your expectations are, by the way. Yeah. Musa has 14 points in three games. Uh, it's pretty good rebounding numbers. I mean, he has um, 15 rebounds. So 14 points, 15 rebounds in three games. But that might be quieter than what some fans were expecting. I mean, that's five five and five a night. And so, Steve, I, if you could unpack a little bit more, maybe what your expectations are for, especially those two. You know, Bufkin, I think my expectation for him was kind of the Jordan Poole role. Um, you know, if he provides you points off the bench, that's great. Uh, but guard depth is also valuable. I mean, these are these were McDonald's All Americans. So what what is what is the standard that you're kind of, or not the standard, but the expectation that you kind of have for them, factoring in a little bit of what you've seen so far. So, I think with Houston, I think what people have to like, what I kind of take into account. Uh, yeah, you see these guys like you see Caleb Houston as like a top ten NBA draft pick. You know, in some in some early mock drafts for next season, you see Diabate as a, a first round draft is like, I think people read that and then just assume these guys are going to walk on the court in November and look like a top 10 NBA player or a top 10 NBA draft yeah, pick. Be a top like, 10 player in the country. Right. Yeah. Like right off the get go. Um, for me, what I look for, like, so, you know, Houston has, they all have expectations. Houston's expectations are, are the biggest just because, well, he's starting you know, and is, is a guy that they're, I think Juwan Howard and company are really planning to heavily rely on down the, the, the latter stretches of the season. I just look for, uh, you know, like flashes. And I think we've seen flashes from both guys, both of those two so far and from Kobe Bufkin, to be fair, uh, both his baskets on Tuesday were, uh, looked good, looked impressive, you know, looked like a guy who knows how to score the basketball at the, at the college level, you know, with, with Houston, I think defensively, he's got a little ways to go. Uh, you know, I, I know against uh, Buffalo, I didn't really look for it too much against Seton Hall, but I know a lot of, a lot of overcompensating on the help defense Buffalo exploited it. I think he got beat on a couple drives where he sort of overplayed the, the passing lane a little bit. Um, but on the offensive end, 
like, I think where he's going to eventually excel because we know, like, and I agree, I'm not concerned about his ability to shoot the basketball. Again, I still think that's sort of an acclimation, you know, just get more comfortable to the speed, the offense, just the little things that like uh, any, almost any freshman are going to have to, you know, particularly a guy who plays on the perimeter are going to have to get used to and, and, and learn how to kind of get, you know, figure out. But I, I think his eventually his biggest asset, like he's got that a size speed combo of a guy who can get into the lane and not only score, but make plays uh, for his teammates as well. You know, he really is a very well-rounded guy on the offensive end. And I think as the, as the season wears on, I think you're going to see more and more of that. You know, I, I don't know, like his ability in the lane. Tell me if you disagree. I do think he's got some fronds to him when he can get in the lane, you know, cause he has that length and has that ability to sort of maneuver by defenders and, and, and play the angles. You know, I thought he made a couple plays on Tuesday where you could see it, you know, so obviously nowhere near Franz on the defensive end. And, and now Franz is one of the best rookies in the NBA, if not one of the two or three best, but, uh, but either way, I do see some, some of that in him when he drives the lane, you know, and, and I think, he could be a better shooter than what Franz was for Michigan last year, eventually too. With Diabate, I think another one, like I said, a guy who has shown it in moments and it's just going to be a matter of, you know, here's the thing. I think we knew, like I was as excited to see him as anybody was. I think I wrote that a few times on the, on the board before the season started, you know, you, you can just, you talk about size and speed and athleticism for his size, uh, I mean, this guy has a, a ceiling, and this is where it gets. This is where it gets kind of interesting. Uh, you know, the NBA scouts are going to drool over a guy like this. The question, but that doesn't matter to Michigan. You know, the question for Michigan, Juwan Howard, is how close can they get with that ceiling this year to help them out? And you know, that's what it's good. That's where it's going to be interesting. I think again, I think you see a guy who's just sort of feeling things out. I, I know. Man, I mean, he the, against Buffalo uh, takes the ball at the perimeter on the baseline and just blows by a smaller defender to get to the basket. Like this, he's got things that you can't really teach, you know. So I think for him, it's going to be a matter of really. I think it's going to be a matter for, of uh, of accepting the coaching and embracing the coaching because you know I think this staff has shown. You talk about the grad transfers last year you know, they've shown an ability to get, get stuff out of guys that, you know, maybe other staffs can't, or, or they've just, they've just already shown a really good penchant for, for getting, getting their players to maximize some of their abilities. So I think Houston, I, I, and this shouldn't really surprise anybody. I think Houston gets to where I think Michigan needs him to be faster than Diabate. I look at Diabate as a guy, when we get to like January, February, I think you're going to see a guy start to come into his own. And then really for me, the question will be when and where do they use him? Is he going to be Dickinson's backup or are they, I know they've tried the four or five stuff a little bit or do they just kind of mix it up or, you know, throw some different lineups out there. So, and that's the other thing about the team as a whole right now. I think you've seen a lot of different lineups. I think the coaching staff is still kind of trying to get a feel for which guy, which units or which guys yes, play best more than other. in past seasons. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, because they're they're They really are. Is, as we talk about the lack of depth at guard, but three and above, they're pretty deep. So there's a lot of different possibilities they can use there. 
you know, and I think that's another thing where we're going to have to kind of, we'll be able to watch and learn almost with the staff is which guys play best together, which, you know, cause that's something when you have a team that's a little bit deeper, you know, obviously with, with more possible combinations you could throw out there, it's going to take a little bit longer to kind of figure that out. Right. No, that's a, that's a good point. Last season, they, they, they kind of had the two, three and four minutes and rotations figured out just because of who was returning. And they just needed Smith to be good at point guard and Dickinson to be good at center. And they were set. And then that's exactly what happened. So it was kind of the, kind of the best case scenario for Michigan Um, this year. I don't think anyone really knows who should be starting at the four. Maybe the coaches do, but, but I think, I think the jury's still out between uh, Williams, Johns and, and Diabate. And I think that's something that will change throughout the year. You mentioned Diabate growing. I, I think he will. I, I think he will. I don't think he, um, I don't think he's looked bad so far. I think, I think the big thing will just be like, well, you know, kind of avoiding fouls, uh, converting at the free throw line. Cause that is something that, that will be something to watch throughout the season. Uh, you know, his, his free throw mechanics are, are unconventional. And I, you know, I don't think it's something that is ever going to be a strength, but right now he's at 44%. If he can get up to 65%, the fouls stop coming in a lot of ways. Like, the, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, Hacka, Hacka Musa, I guess, is, is, is what, what you would call it. I think teams are going to say, well, we'd rather foul him and make him earn it at the line if, if they have a foul to give. But, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think, I think the NBA mock drafts maybe set unrealistic expectations for both because I will say, you know, the word out of this summer Everyone was excited about both, but I don't. I don't think Michigan was under the impression that either player was going to be a one and done. Which sounds crazy in today's college basketball that two five star recruits and neither would be a one and done. And 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 part of that's just because of their ceiling. You know, both of them are were five star recruits largely due to their potential. And maybe a team still drafts them in the first round based off that potential, but I think. I think as it relates to Michigan, I think Juwan Howard and company's job is to find that potential, find, find out how to, how to best use Musa. Because I, you know, I've, I remember in the the exhibition game, because he had a pretty, some pretty solid minutes in the exhibition game. A lot of people were like, Hey, he kind of, does he kind of look like Jaron Jackson Jr. Anybody else? Like people were kind of one, you know, kind of whispering to each other that, and it's, you know, I don't know if that's the, the, best comparison but it's the fact is he does have that kind of potential and so it, a lot of that a lot of it for Michigan will be figuring out what his role is going to be um, figuring out how he fits you know and, and then probably finding his weaknesses because that's what teams are going to exploit so how do you how do you minimize those weaknesses we're going to take a quick break on the other side we'll we'll uh, take a have a some quick discussion on what we make of Michigan's loss and and how it changes expectations for the season, along with some of the strengths of this team. We didn't mean to come off so negative in the first half of this episode. This, this is a team that has a lot to be excited about. We'll talk about it on the other side. This is the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive. That's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So, yeah, Steve, I, I, I realized, you know, not, not intentionally. We were really just going with some of the key talking points. Uh, you know, one other weakness before a strength is, a, you know, something maybe you can, you can add your thoughts to. Not, once again, another last minute loss for Michigan that, that was kind of almost more confusing than frustrating. You know, if, if it's an open shot and you miss it, that's, that's fine. But uh, Michigan, both possessions, you know, with a chance to tie or win the game seemed like they did not get a look that you or myself or other people watching would have wanted. So that is something to keep in mind. And, and I, I did the stat. This isn't, necessarily the most nuanced stat it really is just looking at box scores I haven't I haven't looked at you know the the game situation but Michigan under Juwan Howard now oh and six in games decided by three points or less and they are 44 and 12 in all other games so um I only I only did that because I I noticed I you know the the UCLA game the Ohio State game last postseason and this game all seem to have the same deal where Michigan probably looked like the better team, uh, led, or I don't, maybe not led, but but had had shown the capabilities of winning, and then it just did not happen in the final minute, and and the final minute was really more confusing than anything. So that's something. That's one other thing I'm keeping an eye on in in some of these non-conference games is is how does how does this team because this is a new team how does this team handle kind of those tight games and those tight moments. But there is still a lot of potential. Hunter Dickinson off to a very good start. You know, I think he's he's um, looking better even than last season at, at drawing fouls. Uh, he's shooting at a very high clip. You know, he's, he's um, I don't know, he's just been very good. He's a, he's, he's a pretty good defender still. Um, you know, comparable rebounding numbers to a season ago. Better overall shooter. Um, you know, he did make the three, <laughs> so that's something, something that he's trying to add to the game. Just a little bit more versatile, in my in my opinion. That's going to keep him on the floor a little bit more, I I think as well as is um, there isn't necessarily like an obvious formula to stop him, but he's a strength. I think Eli Brooks. We talked about him continuing to progress year after year after year. So, Steve, Michigan entered this week number four. They will not stay number four. But how good is this team right now, do you think? Are they 
are they a top 10 team still? Are they, do they have, uh, do they have to prove something to you to, to kind of earn that top four status? We mentioned how many new pieces they have ballpark. Where would you, where would you rank this team based off of the three games that you've seen so far? Uh, I'd say somewhere in the top 15 or so, probably. <clears throat> We've seen a couple other top teams fall early in the season. I mean, I know Coburn was out, but Marquette not very good. You know, Illinois, that's a game you would think Illinois would win even without uh, Kofi in there. So, you know, rough start for parts of the Big Ten. I think the Wisconsin and Nebraska both also lost in the <clears throat> the Gavitt games. Um, Purdue has looked really good so far. So there's that. I, I, Michigan, but you're right. A lot of Big Ten teams have lost. Right. Um, Michigan State lost. Maryland lost. Illinois lost. Michigan lost. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin lost. Arguably, more of the top half of the league has lost already than usual. Right. And to be clear, I mean, I think Seton Hall was 35th on Ken Palm. It's not as if they were this like horrible team again, a game that Michigan absolutely should have won really a game. Uh, the box scored, you know, Seton Hall had a negative assist to turnover ratio. Uh, rebounding was pretty even like they shot 29% on shots that weren't layups. Right. Um, and honestly, like, here's, and that's kind of fun. That's a funny stat because I, I don't, and again, I, I know this happens everywhere else, but, and, and Michigan did give up some – what was so weird about that game from the perimeter for Seton Hall is the shots they did hit were either just blown coverage by Michigan where guys were absurdly wide open or – and this is where it just feels like this always seems to happen – some just ridiculously high-difficulty shots. Um, you know, that Roden kid is good, but, man, I mean, he hit some – tough tough jumpers you know hit three or four of his six field goals were with a hand in his face you know and um so it was a peculiar game for Michigan defensively but yeah definitely a game not only if you watched it but on the box score that just really it's kind of mystifying Michigan led for 20 almost 27 minutes of the game um you know so a frustrating loss part of the reason why like here's the other on the flip side you know we talk about being negative on the first half of the show Seton Hall, not a bad team. Michigan played pretty poorly, even when they were even when they were in the lead. I mean, they had a decent lead for a while, and Seton Hall kind of kept it close. One of those types of deals where Michigan couldn't quite pull away, but still, that they, they weren't really doing it in an impressive fashion, uh, and they still should have won. You know, that's I think that that there's some encouragement there where it's like like we said, I think the pieces are slowly going to come together. You know, this is going to be a totally different type of team than last year was. Um, so with that, you know, with that in mind, I, I, you know, I'm not too discouraged by this loss, you know, and that's the other thing is like, I'm also not a big proponent of the, of the good loss, I guess. It just only because let's just say they had won. The coaching staff is still, see, we're going to see the exact same issues coming out of that game as they would have if they had gotten beat, you know, I mean, maybe for the younger guys, it's a good experience to have that feeling and not want it again. But I, I, you know, 
I don't know. I, the, I saw it as a, a good loss. Um, I think it was as big. It was going to be as big a learning experience for Michigan, even if they had won a close game, as it is that they lost a close game. So, you know, yeah. So top fifteen, just really for me, more about the pieces coming together and that rotation part that we talked about. I think is going to be really important to see. You know, what do you do with Diabate? Is he a five? Do you, or can you can you comfortably put him on the floor with Dickinson? Where does Terrence Williams fit in? What if Johns continues to kind of struggle a little bit? You know, just a lot of moving pieces there still that are, I think they're still trying to figure out. So um, got to have, obviously have faith in Juwan Howard to get that figured out. And we'll see, you know, kind of where they, where the dominoes fall as far as the lineups go. Yeah. I, to answer the question that I asked, even though there's, we're, we're both kind of guessing a little bit here just because the sample size is still relatively small. Uh, I don't think I would rank Michigan in the top 10, top 15 right now. I, I think, I think by, you know, mid December, I might, if, if things, if things progress, like I kind of expect them to, like my expectations for the team don't change. I expect them to be in that top three or four teams in the big 10. I expect them to be enter the tournament as a team who should get to the sweet 16. Uh, with, you know, if they get hot, they can go further. But, yeah, I think right now I, I just think that they have so much to figure out. And I think a couple of the things that that I expected have not come to fruition yet. You know, Devontae Jones has not been Michigan's number two player. It's been Eli Brooks, which credit to Eli Brooks. But also, I think Jones, even when even fouls aside, I think is still still acclimating to this level, which is not uncommon. In fact, that's more common. I think, I think Michigan fans might have taken for granted just, just how effective Mike Smith was able to be last season. You know, not, not quite right away, but relatively early on. And I think Jones still has, has work to do because Seton Hall, what's interesting about them to me is um, athletically and then size wise, they compare very much to a big 10 team. You know, that, that looks like a Big Ten team. And so Michigan probably doesn't want to lose too many home games this season. But, but it's, it's an interesting test because now they, we all kind of can see, okay, what are the real strengths and weaknesses of the team? So I'm with you. Good loss is kind of a weird phrase. But in basketball, you can lose a bunch of times. It's not a big deal. Um, it's about finding a way to be the best team that you can buy. I sound like Matt Campbell here, but finding a way to be the best team you can possibly be by March, you know, in football, you don't really have that luxury. If you lose once your season's on the brink, if you lose twice, your season's over in, in basketball, I mean, you, they can lose again this weekend in Las Vegas and still emerge. I mean, Michigan's 2018 team lost to LSU early on, ended up playing in the national title game. Their 2014 team that was a shot away from the final four uh, won the big 10 outright. They lost to Iowa State and Charlotte early on. You know, the 2017 team that that won the Big Ten tournament made it to the Sweet 16. Uh, they had some losses early on. So it's not, not outlandish to lose in November, but I, I do think it is a sign that maybe this team is still trying to figure out what it can be. Because I Seton Hall, I think they'll be good. I don't think they're going to be a top 10 team. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but I... I think Michigan lost that game more than Seton Hall won it. And I think that's something to, to, to keep an eye on is I, I still think 
this is a very talented team. And I think I think there are some some players like like if Kobe Bufkin and, and Frankie Collins can step up and and be continue to ascend throughout the season, well, suddenly this team looks very dangerous. If Jones can get comfortable and and stay on the court a little bit longer, but also also you know play the heady aggressive game that that his tape shows that he's capable of playing. Someone like Brandon Johns, if he can give you eight and four a night, eight points a game, four rebounds a game per night, you know, and then you have Terrence Williams and Musa um, kind of rotating in there as well. I mean, if, if Houston can get to the point where I said he, he'll, he'll quietly average double figures throughout the season, that's, that's kind of my, where I think he'll be, um, you know, if they can get all that, then they're going to be in, in right back in that top 10, maybe even in the top five. But for now, a lot of those things I just listed aren't, happening yet it's it's really you know when the game got close Tuesday I think I think Steve one one thing that I'm keeping an eye on is Hunter Dickinson brought it he was ready Eli Brooks brought it he was ready he was stop he was um, snapping Michigan scoring droughts he was hitting big shots they're they're going to need more than those two though I I think to to you know make it past let's say top 50 opponents um yeah, they are going to need more more than just those two. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on right now. Steve, this weekend they play UNLV. It's in Las Vegas. I, I mentioned homecoming a little bit for Frankie Collins. He's from Henderson, Nevada, which is right near Las Vegas. Um, kind of an interesting <laughs> matchup or draw for, for the Wolverines just because the games are being played so late at night. I, I think... One of them is set to tip off at like 12.30 a.m. So technically it's a Saturday. They play two games on Saturday, uh, but they play UNLV, and then they'll play Wichita State or Arizona. UNLV not ranked super high uh, outside the top 100 in Ken Palm, um, 129. They are 3-0, but uh, you know, and, and they're, they're a good defensive team, but just not a very good shooting team. You know, they, beat, they beat a very bad Cal team by three points. They beat North Dakota state by two points. Um, they beat Gardner Webb by, it looks like six points. So that's, I, I kind of anticipate the win there. I guess then the next question will be Arizona. Uh, they look like a, probably a top 25 ish team. They beat the same North Dakota state team by 52. So, uh, that, that probably would be if they beat UNLV, that probably would be who they would play. Any any thoughts heading into this weekend on maybe the biggest thing Michigan must show other than victories and also uh, maybe keys to victory for this weekend? I just want to see more. Honestly, I want to see more of uh, Kobe Bufkin, you know, because I think as we talked about Devontae Jones and Eli Brooks's role in, in you know, Jones's performance may impact where Brooks plays and where he's, you know, how his role is sort of delegated. I think, I think Buffkin's emergence could end up being a really big, because that's the thing is like, I, I really, I do think you can, you know, I don't think we're going to see many more one for nine type nights from Caleb Houston. You know, I think he'll get it going. We know what Terrence Williams can do. Brandon Johns will see, I, you know, I've always kind of, I've always been pretty high on Brandon Johns. I feel like last year I was, calling for him to, to have a bigger role. And he ended up, you know, playing so well in the tournament. You, you'd think that he, 
it will get it going and build, you know, because it looked like he really had something to build off of coming into this year. You know, so a lot of these guys, I think, are going to going to continue to get going. I think the emergence of a guy like Buffkin is is one of those couple things that could really just give Michigan such a huge lift, you know, on the offensive side of the floor. So I'll be looking to see, you know, against an inferior opponent like UNLV to see if maybe if Buffkin gets a little bit more run and uh, and what he does with it. You know, outside of that, like I said, it's I, I think it's more about. And maybe it doesn't happen, but um, I, I just expect, you know, that I think almost each time we see Michigan take the floor, I think they're going to be a little more crisp and, and a little more consistent. So uh, that's what I expect to see when I wake up on Saturday and watch the highlights of the game. Uh, Cause I'm not staying up that late to watch uh, <laughs> the game is as great as it'd be to watch. It really stinks that it tips off that late, but um, you know, that's what I would expect to see. Just want to see more Buffett. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, th- I think Houston's bounce back will be the thing I'm I'm watching because I, I I just said you know maybe people have unrealistic expectations for him, but that was not a good game on on Tuesday for him. Um, not just the shooting, but really just the overall performance. He's he's capable of more, and Michigan knows he's capable of, capable of more. That's why he's that's why he's starting, and so um, and. Obviously, the recruiting services are going off potential, but they wouldn't put him in the top 10 if they didn't think he was capable of contributing this season. So, or contributing in a very big way. Of course, he's going to contribute. But I'm curious to see how he bounces back. Uh, And then I'm also curious, not so much UNLV, but maybe Arizona, another team with with athleticism and size. Curious to see how they how Michigan bounces back in terms of Dickinson, you know, is, is there a bit of a formula Arizona, very good defensive team. They actually currently lead the nation in field goal percentage allowed and they haven't played anybody good. I think that will change, but, but still, um, you know, that's, that's something to keep in mind as they slow teams down, they have legitimate size. They have guys. I mean, they, they have, Two, two guys at center who are seven foot. So it'll be very interesting to see, assuming, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here, but assuming they beat UNLV and Arizona beats Wichita State, that will be a matchup that will be an interesting peek into, into Dickin, how Dickinson's game has changed. And also, without necessarily Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner drawing a lot of attention away from the post, you know, how does Michigan handle maybe some extra attention on Dickinson? Because right now, if you're looking at the box score and you're an opponent, you're giving Dickinson the the Iowa Luca Garza treatment, where you're doubling him whenever you can. You are trying, you know, basically you're you're gearing your entire defense around let's be ready when Garza gets the ball. It's the same, it's it's a similar deal right now. And I think that's what Seton Hall did. So can Arizona do the same thing or does Michigan maybe show show some uh, some capabilities of of working around that? Anyway, that's going to do it for for us for Steve Lorenz. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine twenty four seven podcast. Be sure to read all of the basketball stories over at the MichiganInsider dot com, Michigan dot twenty four seven sports dot com. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 